We're going to read two portions, one from 1 Corinthians 12, and the second from Ephesians 2, but we're going to treat them backwards. We'll start studying, start our time in Ephesians and end back here in 1 Corinthians 12. <clears throat> Now, continuing our study on the Spirit, and we're going to notice how in this passage the Spirit makes us the body of Christ, and then in the Ephesians passage, how he makes us the dwelling place of God and the temple of God. So, one, this has a horizontal look about it, and when we get to Ephesians 2, we'll see more of a vertical look, uh, that of worship. Beginning with verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 12. For just as the body is one and has many members or many parts. By the way, when it says members here, that's not talking about members of the church. These are talking about parts of the body. Some translations are organs and limbs. Okay, Just to emphasize, that's what it's talking about. Organs and limbs, different parts of the body. And now that's an illustration of the church, but he's talking about the human body. So, just as a body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ, that is, the church of Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together." Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now Ephesians chapter 2, which you can, if you're in the Pew Bible or you have your own ESV, it's on page 977. We'll begin reading with verse 13 of Ephesians 2. His... Up to this point in verses 11 and 12 talked about the alienation that the Gentiles uh, had before Christ, cut off from God, without God. But, verse 13, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility 
by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father." So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's the reading of God's word. Uh, Let us pray. O Lord, enable us to see the glory of the work of the Spirit. Enable us, Lord, all the more to see you as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the majestic way that you work in creation and in redemption. Bless us, Lord, that uh, in particular we might have even a deeper appreciation for the great work of the Spirit, what he does for us, what he has brought uh, us into and what he has brought to us. And what he continually does for us as the body of Christ. Bless us, Lord, for your sake we pray. Amen. We, uh, these two passages taken together show that the church must be a worshiping church, but the church must be a church of love and interrelationship. And if the church proposes to worship God... Uh, and serve God, but we don't have love for one another, John tells us in 1 John that we are, frankly, liars. Because there he says, if anyone says he loves God yet hates his brother, he is a liar. Uh, you can't love God whom you haven't seen. Uh, if you don't love God, if you, if, you, if you say you love God whom you haven't seen, but you don't even love the one in, right in front of you, uh, how... Can this be a reality at all? So our love for one another is not an extra, of course. It's essential to our being as a church. And we're going to see how the Holy Spirit not only makes us worshiping uh, uh, congregation, but a congregation of love. And if there is no love for one another in the body, there is no real worship, no matter how much we may think there is worship. And the, the opposite is true. If we are all about doing good for others, but our worship is weak and non-existent, we don't uh, study the word, we don't worship this God, we don't submit to him, then this love means nothing at all, really, ultimately. It's not the love of God. Uh, so the spirit, as we will see, makes us a dwelling place of God, and he makes us the body of Christ, a glorious work of the Holy Spirit. Now, we saw how the Spirit uh, is the hands-on person of the Trinity in creation, and we're going to see some of how he's the hands-on person of the Trinity in redemption as well. So here we begin in, on page uh, 977 in your pew Bibles uh, in Ephesians uh, chapter 2. And you'll see in verse 18... He says that through him, that is through Christ, we both have access, that is Jew and Gentile, 
in one spirit to the Father. Now, up to this point, he's been dealing with the fact that Christ has died, and because of his death, we have been brought into intimate communion with the Father. He bore away God's wrath, and now God is free to give himself in full favor to us because his wrath has been satisfied in Christ. And in 1 Peter 3.18, we read this, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So the point of his death, the point of standing in our place as the righteous one to, uh, to, to stand in the place uh, uh, and bear our sins, the unrighteous that we were, Uh, This was to the point to bring us into intimacy with God. The whole point of redemption is fellowship with God, intimacy, communion, relationship with God. And we read then in this passage that it is affected or brought about through the Spirit, this one Spirit working, uh, giving us access. Now, it's interesting because you tend to think we have access to the Father, that is, access into the heavenly place, which is true. Hebrews especially talks about this, that the way is open for us to have access to God. But this picture is access because God has made his home with us. You see, verse 22, that we are now a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, so that the Spirit... Coming and indwelling in us has brought then full access and the full presence of the Father to us. The Father now dwells among us through the Holy Spirit. That's why we talk about the third person being the hands-on person of the Trinity. He's the one who actually dwells in us, but we're also said to be the temple of God. We're also said to be the dwelling place of, of Jesus Christ. But God the Father and the Son dwell in us through the Holy Spirit who has come to abide in us and among us. So he, the Father has come to us through the Holy Spirit. We have access to him. We have intimate life and fellowship with the Father because we have that with the Spirit who dwells in us. So picture it not only with you being brought to heaven to have access with the Father, but heaven has been brought down to you and you're dwelling. You're, you're a part of heaven in a sense. You're a part of the dwelling place of God. He has brought the heavenly life and fellowship down to his people. We are God's home on earth, right? We are where God lives we are where God walks about, where he uh, speaks, where he manifests his glory and power. We are intimate with God because the Spirit is with us. And this, make, this, this dwelling place is an ongoing project. He says you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And there. there This gives the idea of this project is ongoing and will have a completion point in the future. And so we read uh, in 
in Revelation 21, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. You see, that's the final goal of history. The apex of history is when we, the city temple bride, have fully indwelled by God forever. And he is building that even now as he adds more and more people uh, throughout history to his building, right? And as he forms that building and constructs that building by having us relate to one another and care for one another, this is God's great world project that will have this final glorious ending as we are the new Jerusalem the new temple, the final dwelling place of God forever. And he will dwell with us forever and ever. Now, a couple of applications. First, everyone has this same access to the Father through the Holy Spirit. Every single one of you. And it's no different for any one of you. We all have this access. We all we all, most of us, there may be a few Jews here, but you're, you're considered far off as well in another sense. But we, we all were far off, he says. We all were distant. We were all on the outside looking in. We were the have-nots. In the movie Elysium uh, with Matt Damon, it takes place in 2000, uh, 2154, okay, 2154. And at that point, if, if you've seen the movie, there's a giant space station, man-made space station, that is Elysium, and it's the paradise, okay? Earth is ruined, and everybody on Earth just barely gets by. They have racked with disease and tumult and uh, roarous confusion, and it's just a terrible place to live, a barren, uh, difficult place to live. While there in Elysium, it's beautiful, it's perfect, it's full of peace, etc., Well, one of the aspects of Elysium is that they had these machines where diseased people, uh, whenever you got a disease, you just be put in this machine and you're healed completely. And people on earth knew about it. And though it was carefully guarded and you could get killed trying to get there, they tried to make runs with a sick child or a sick friend or, or relative to try to get to one of those machines to risk their lives. Kind of like people going from East Germany to uh, West Germany uh, when it was communist controlled. And this is a, uh, a spoiler, spoiler alert. I'm sorry, spoiler, couldn't even say the word. Spoiler alert uh, in case you're going to see it, so close your ears. Um, but at the end of the movie, the machines, through the uh, sacrifice of Matt Damon, he actually is a Christ figure because he sacrifices himself, he dies. And redemption comes to the earth, so to speak, through his sacrifice. And the first aspect of redemption is that the machines are brought down and thousands of people just flood to get to the machines and bring their sick and dying to the machines so that they can be healed. So that Elysium has been brought down. Everybody now has access, you see. Everybody has access to the healing. And that's just the beginning as the whole of the uh, wonderful civilization is brought to bear. And you see, we, we have all now been given access. 
It doesn't matter how broken you are, how much you've sinned, where you're from, what class you're from, what kind of money you make or education you have, how smart you are or not so smart you are. There's the same access for every one of us. No one is left out. No one's in a special category, good or bad. Because this is the work of Christ and it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not us. It's not any one of us. It's what God has done for each one of us. To give us full access to this God. Full intimacy with this God. It's a gift. Every one of us helplessly receives this gift. And are admitted into the presence of God. But you see, we then become this growing Elysium, so to speak. This growing paradise of restored relationship and love and kindness and goodness and patience and sacrifice. As Christ has sacrificed for us, trying to gather more and more people that they might have access to this God. That they might begin to enter into the experience of his love and begin to, to love and be loved by others in ways they haven't known. So everyone has the same access. Secondly, because he says in this place that you are growing into a holy temple, it means that we are a place of the worship of God in particular. Uh, We are where God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are admired, where they are adored, where he is treasured. That's the very meaning of being a temple. You can see this in 1 Peter 2 where he says that you are living stones being built up into a spiritual house in order to make spiritual sacrifices. You see, you're a spiritual house so that you can offer spiritual sacrifices. That is worship. The point of a temple is a place of worship, a place where God is lifted up, a a place where he's trusted and praised and admired. And this is what renews and refreshes us as human beings. It's what we were made for. It's the whole point of your being and my being is to explore and discover and adore this God. Our first catechism question, right? Chief end of man. Glorify and enjoy God. I have thought often how wonderful it would be to spend years, and so far nobody's offered to send me, but uh, to spend years exploring the natural wonders of the whole of this world. You know, I mean, just start anywhere. You know, Antarctica, I would just go crazy to go to Antarctica or to Alaska or Iceland or I did visit Sweden for just a little bit there's so much to see even in that one country just country after country after country just the topography and the animal life and the plant life and then the cultural riches of the world you know from little villages and towns on a coast to great cities to museums. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And one place is different than the next than the next. You can imagine just visiting and being in a constant state of fascination and awe and discovery. Brothers and sisters, that's what we're to be with God, right? We're to be energetic and eager to know him, to know more of him, to discover him, to experience him, not only directly in the word, but also through the creation and culture that we experience so that he is the one that we worship in the midst of it. He is the one that we enjoy and admire. We show him gratitude in all things. 
And so you have passages like that in Ephesians 5. Giving thanks always for everything. Sounds like a whole life of gratitude, doesn't it? Or rejoice in the Lord always. Again, Paul says, I say rejoice. So this is your meaning to discover, adore, treasure this God. I just urge you, that's what you are. You're a temple, right? You are a temple. Temples worship. That's what you're made for. And be encouraged that if the Spirit has made you as a temple, you will and can have a growing capacity to worship Him and enjoy Him and delight in Him. This isn't a futile uh, endeavor here. This is a certain endeavor for you to enter more and more into the worship of God and the delight of God through the Holy Spirit. It is what the Holy Spirit does for us. Well, I want us to end back where we started in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as we consider also, not only does the Spirit make us the dwelling place of God, but I want to touch just a little bit on the fact that the Spirit makes us the body of Christ. You see in verse 13 of that passage, in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. All were made to drink of one spirit. And notice again how he says, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. No matter who you are, no matter how, where you've come from, no matter what part of the social fabric you are, you have experienced the same uh, spirit. You have uh, encountered the same spirit. You have partake, taken of the same spirit. Made to drink is also the term for watering ground. You know, you've all been watered in a sense by the same spirit, fed and nourished by the same spirit. You live in that one spirit. We have this, just like the body has one DNA, your DNA is unique in every cell of your body. Uh, we all share the life of the same spirit. All of us. And that one life of the Spirit, though, manifests itself in our diversity. It's interesting how much he talks about unity here, but at the same time, how much he talks about diversity. And that there really is no unity unless there is this diversity. As you think about the body, it's the same way. So that the different, the diverse uh, gifts of the church, the diverse capacities and abilities of the church create this wonderful mutual working in each other's lives where each of us supplies what the other doesn't have. We're all about moving out of ourselves and bringing what God has given us to everyone else in the body. And that's what interlocks us. That's what creates a beautiful unity, not a uniformity, but a beautiful unity of diverse parts working together. You know, there are, they say, 11 systems in the body, okay? I'll start with the integumentary system. It's just your skin. I just love to say that word, though. <laughs> integumentary system. Ooh, that's so cool. Well, you just think what the, uh, the skin of course, is our protection, our covering, and every single other system, every organ in the body depends on its life because of that skin, right? That's, that's how much the rest of the body needs the skin. Then you move to the skeletal system, 
How much does the body need the bones? Well, you know what you'd be, a little puddle, if you didn't have your skeleton. And what about the muscle system? You couldn't move. Nothing would move. Your heart wouldn't move. Nothing would work if you didn't have your muscular system. And then you think about your circulatory system, which takes all your nourishment and everything to every other part of the body. It doesn't exist just for itself. It exists for every other part of the body to get something from the circulatory system. And then there's the respiratory system. That's the only way you get all the oxygen and every single cell in the body depends on the respiratory system working. And then there's the digestive system without which no, the body wouldn't have its nourishment. And then there's the nervous system and endocrine system. Everything else is controlled by those two systems. Nerves and endocrine, that means your hormones, okay? So everything else is controlled by those. And then, of course, you would die if you didn't have your urinary system and your lymphatic system. And we'd all just end with this generation if we didn't have a reproduction system, right? <laughs> I mean, just think how critical each part is to the whole. And that's what he's saying here. And, and what would it be if everything was one thing? What would it be? You know, the, the eye, the, the, it's interesting how he gives this picture of one part saying, if I'm not that part, I'm nothing. And I can just imagine the ear saying that about the eye. Just saying, you know, nobody's ever looked into me and thought I was beautiful. They do that with the eye all the time. Talk about how pretty they are, how lovely they are, and even blinking really does something to his heart when she does that. He never said that about my ear, about me. He never looks into me, never tells me I'm pretty. I just don't even belong here, you know. You could just imagine the ear thinking how much attention. But then if that was the case, the eyes could look at each other all day long, but there's no communication because you can't even hear each other, right? How critical the ear is. And some people have said if they had to go blind or without hearing, they might pick blind instead of hearing because of how wonderful sound is and how terrible it is when you can't hear. Uh, Even though some of you may hope that you don't hear your mate much longer or whatever, that's beside the point, right? Um, And if everything was one thing, like, for instance, the hand is amazing, isn't it? You, you use it every day in thousands of ways you don't even know. You, you don't even have any idea how much you use your hand. I can't talk without my hands, right? I'm doing this all the time with my hands. But if it was just a hand, just a hand lying on the pavement, what would it be? It would be nothing. Couldn't move. It couldn't trans- be transported anywhere. It couldn't have any food. It couldn't hear. Got, you know. It could do nothing. It's nothing by itself. It's amazing in connection to the whole body. And every single part of your body is, is important, no matter what it is. One commentator gives the illustration of a car and says, you can have a really fancy ignition system. It's, it's computer-driven, you know, it's very complicated. But is that more important than the drain plug for the oil? It's a very simple little hunk of metal. Right compared to this exquisite little system, but they're both critical to the car. Right, the little hoses are critical to a car as well as their electrical systems. And interestingly, even earwax. Right, you just try to get rid. I know it's a little earthy. Here we go. Um, But um, 
It's a part of your ear's defense system. It, protect, it protects your inner ear that's so delicate, right? It protects it from bacteria and fungus and dirt and even insects, right? It cleans and lubricates the ear canal. So you might think, earwax, who needs it? No, you need it. You need it. I'm amazed uh, when uh, there was a lady in a former church who lost her equilibrium at times. She had to quit driving because of it. And she said, I'll just be walking down the street and everything in the world suddenly turns upside down. You know what it was? Fluid in her ear not being where it's supposed to be. She had to take a diuretic to get rid of the excess fluid because fluid is how you maintain your balance in your, in your ear. Every part of the body is fascinating. And he's giving us this picture so that we can appreciate how wonderful every part of our church is, every person in our church. Because he talks about not only the person who thinks, well, I don't belong because I'm not another one, but it's also the one who says, I don't need you because I'm somebody. So it works both ways. That we all humbly see that I have a place and you have a place. I have a place by God's grace and you have a place by God's grace. By God's grace, you need me and by God's grace, I need you. And so he says this creates in the body uh, that, that, that because of this, there'll be no division, verse 25. We may have the same care for one another. There'll be no private suffering in the church. Should be no private suffering in the church. We all suffer together. We enter into each other's suffering and pain. We open ourselves up to be ministered to by the body as well. And the body has so, there's so many things within our body that we don't even realize because we don't know each other well enough. Uh, the fascination with the physical body needs to be the kind of fascination that we have with each other as well. And I want to close just with uh, the movie Divergent. Some of you have probably seen it. Uh, I've started the book, but so these quotes are, I haven't gotten to these quotes in the book yet, but they are from the movie. But uh, Janine Matthews is uh, working to eliminate one of the Four of the several factions that are in the earth at this, uh, in uh, the world at this time. And all of society has been divided into these several factions, and you're supposed to fall in line with one of the factions and live like they do, and think like they do, and work like they do. And of course, the word divergent means what if you don't fit one of those? What if you want to be all of those? You want to be part of all of those? And our uh, heroine is uh, a divergent. And that's where the tension and the conflict and the adventure begins. But she is talking to Tris, who's our hero, and Four, who's also our hero. um, And she's telling them why she's doing what she's doing. The system removes the threat of anyone exercising their independent will. Divergence threaten that system. It won't be safe until they're removed. There's a certain beauty in your resistance and independence, but it's a beauty we can't afford. And what Paul is saying, in the church, our divergence is celebrated, right? 
Our, divergent create, our divergence as we come together and offer one another our diversity in the unity of worshiping God, in the unity of serving one another, in the unity of making known the gospel, we become a beautiful thing, just like the body, only because it has so many diverse parts working together is it such a lovely, exquisite creation, Right? That's what we can be. That's what we must be. But it has to begin with an appreciation of diversity. People very different from you. People with very different gifts than you. Are you going to love them and cherish them? Or are you going to despise them? Are you going to despise yourself in a way that would, uh, neglect, would, would deny what God has made you to be in the church? And it's interesting <clears throat> when this kind of unusual part of this passage where he says uh, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are, are indispensable. And some talk about, you know, like a little valve in one place. It's just a valve, but it's life or death, right, that, if that valve works or not. Then he says the parts of the body we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honorable honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. No, he's talking about the parts by which we create new life, right? Or nourish that life. And he doesn't mean that we hide them away because we're ashamed of them, but because exposing them would be shameful, right? And so we honor them by adoring, adorning them. We, we honor them with our covering and adornment. And he's making this point, which is a striking point, that when... People come into our midst that are less honorable, okay? The world doesn't honor them. The world despises them and dismisses them and neglects them because they don't count. Because they're not the important people and they're not the wealthy people and they're not the smart people or whatever. They're not our class. Whatever it is. If we treat them the same way, then we are shaming our whole body. If we do not honor them and care for them. If we act just like the world does, then we are exposing ourselves to shame as though a person was running down naked in front of everybody. Because we're exposing those tender, dishonorable, weak, hurting people by saying, you're not important enough for us. So, again... We're just seeking to be like God, right? We're just seeking to be like Jesus who died for every single one of us. He spilled his blood for every single one of us. Who do we think we are? Who do we think we are that we're going to have elitism in the church? That whatever, whatever class and and elitism and, and uh, divisions there are in the world, we just bring it right over the church. When Jesus died for every one of us, it should humble us each. I'm one that he had to die for. I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve any good at all, but God has graciously given me good in Christ. And if he has died for you, then what less can I do than to give myself away to you to know you and love you and cherish you. So that's our great privilege. We're the temple of God and we're the body of Christ. Let us pray.
O Lord, we thank you for the great work of the Holy Spirit. Because we partake of that Spirit, we are brought into fellowship, intimate fellowship with the Father. And we are brought into intimate fellowship with one another. For every one of my brothers and sisters are a part of that Spirit. Every one of them are a temple of that Spirit. And we all together are the temple of that Spirit. And our society of the Spirit, a fellowship of the Spirit. Oh, Lord, thank you for rescuing us through your precious, the precious work of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for sending your Spirit to begin to transform us and make us into a beautiful unity and diversity. May we deeply value every difference. May we deeply value all the wonderful variety that you bring into our church and the variety of gifts as well that you bring into our church. Oh, Lord, may we uh, welcome all of it and see it work in increasing beautiful ways that glorify your great name in our worship and in our love. For Jesus' sake we pray, amen.